Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And man, you remember when, was it last week? We were, you know, excited for whatever their announcement was going to be. And then it was just kind of... I don't remember last week at all. It, it feels like a blur at this point. Uh, things things have changed rapidly, Gerald, very, very rapidly. Uh, life comes at you quick. Yeah, that's 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 an understatement. So here we are. Uh, Magic, quote unquote, esports has issued an article. A proclamation, uh, if you will, from the hilltops. Yes, uh, from down on high, talking about getting back to magic after COVID and the, the super condensed version is that MPL and rivals are dead. They're just dead. And uh, who knows really what comes after that, but there's going to be stuff maybe probably. This is one of the more interesting podcasts we've ever produced because if you had asked me what this podcast was going to be like at about 1 p.m. today, so three hours ago, I would say I am going to burn everything to the ground and I no longer care. Let's just let's just raise it all. Uh, my my anger at one o'clock was like at an 11, I would say, on a scale of one to 10. Now. We waited a little bit and we gave. Uh, you say a, waited. I was asleep. Okay, you slept. Through, <laughs> you slept through my rage. I, I slept through several over. alarms, actually. But right, yeah. well, that was a good choice because uh, you you got to skip the the rage period. Uh, there was a live stream hosted by Blake from Wizards, and uh, honestly, the stream was mostly reasonable. And th- there's a lot of problems in the fact that the messaging that came from that stream. Uh, didn't really track with the messaging that came from this announcement whatsoever. Like just wizards and messaging. And yeah. Maybe more iconic duo. Yeah, man. I know. Uh, now I have to decide how much rage I want to have throughout this cast. Cause there's going to be so much. And I'm just kind of like, we, we literally just did a live cast uh, over in our discord. We watched the announcement together. We talked through it and in real time, my anger started dissipating. And now I'm in this weird in-between zone where there's still some remnants of my prior anger that remain. So like, I, I want to be really fiery about things, but ultimately, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm optimistic. We'll get into it all. Why, why don't we start with breaking down exactly uh, the, the terms of this announcement? I, I mean, as far as the actual written statement, all that we were given was that essentially Pro play as we knew it was sunsetting. In fact, if you go over to StarCityGames.com, I believe their headline is Magic Pro Play to End in 2022. <laughs> uh, I, I which, think they got taken down, actually. Okay. Uh, it was in my my inbox for a minute. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. wait. No, no, no. 2021, 2022 will be last season for Magic Pro Play. It's still there you there. go. Atarka's Command was above it, so I missed it. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I... I don't blame them for producing that headline, given what was stated in this initial article. It it just seemed like we were done. We were taking a year off and then we'd come back with something and something was in no way determined. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. That's that's where we stood as of your nap time today. Yeah. So then uh, things things got clarified a little bit, which is 
good. Uh, I mean, like this this article really just talks about how like live play is important to them and to Magic's ecosystem and everything. And then the live stream was like, oh, well, just because we didn't mention, you know, Pro Tours or whatever doesn't mean that we're not going to do them. And it's like, okay, well, that's weird, but cool. Very weird. And uh, they they really have to work on getting the entire message out when they're doing things like this that dramatically affect people's engagement with like their core hobby or maybe their careers. I mean, let's just put it out there. We we talked briefly about this and we were like, should we stop doing the podcast? Because what was left? Yeah. Like we're, we're here to do this and teach people how to succeed in competitive magic. And it didn't look like competitive magic was going to be there. And for us to have that conversation, like that is fundamentally a life changing conversation. We are altering the path of our existence by starting to consider those decisions. And the incomplete nature of that article pushed us in that direction. Like that, that's a big screw up. It's a big screw up. And now when you try and put forth a more well-reasoned, well-thought-out policy, you're fighting uphill. You have to fight against all this anger and uncertainty and rage that you've created by just not being clear in the first place. So definitely a big fail with the initial initial message here. No one could have seen this coming. I know. Um, but so, in terms of what, what's actually happening here, dissolving the MPL, dissolving the Rivals League, hell yeah. Garbage systems, just absolute garbage. And And look, Wizards created them, so they can take the blame, they can take heat for this, that's completely fine. But you still got to give props for recognizing this is a garbage fire, this is not working, we need to get away from this. Yeah, um, so we... We got we got spoiled uh, ahead of the announcement, and the the cliff notes that I got were definitely not. Uh, it, it didn't make me very hopeful for the future. You know, it's like COVID happens and paper play shuts down and everything. Like we we took a, a big hit on that financially in a lot of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And then I get the cliff notes version of this thing and. Yeah, it's basically like, you know, competitive play is not really going to exist. And I started thinking about what it takes for us to be successful and for, you know, competitive players who still have an outlet and still have something to do and strive for. And I think the the end result that I came to was like it doesn't it doesn't take a ton. But certainly at the time, I was I was really worried. And now after this announcement and everything, like I, I am hopeful at least for job security. But in in the case of like everything else, uh, it was very heavily insinuated that it's just like going to resemble like a, a Grand Prix Pro Tour model. And it's like, you know, maybe maybe no platinum or MPL or anything like that. Uh, so it's different, right? It's like, you're probably not going to see a lot of the same players. You're not going to see maybe like the best of the best. You're not going to see like the top 0.01% or whatever, but you'll see like the next level or two. Uh, and I, I think that all of that stuff is good enough. I think that we can all still happily exist and thrive in that sort of system and setup. Yeah, so let's let's really drill into the specific language that sparked a lot of this. 
somewhere in the initial announcement, it said the new system would no longer support basically like the professional lifestyle. I'm paraphrasing to some extent, but so something to that level was stated. Um, it was then later clarified to mean, well, there'll still be payouts. There'll still be money to be made. There'll still be pro tours. There'll still be GPs. And there'll, there still will be cumulative qualification. And I think that's a huge part of the equation here because that also felt like what it was being tossed out with the system is that you just weren't going to be able to chain events anymore. In the stream, it was clarified that will remain. What they were talking about specifically is removing appearance fees under like the old platinum system, where if people don't know, when you attended a GP as a platinum pro, you got a cash payout. When you attended a pro tour as a platinum pro, you got a cash payout. You get hotel rooms, things like that. That's that's dead. And you know what? Good. Let that die. Like that only matters to a very small amount of people. And it is not what most of us were here for. We were <laughs> we all approached magic for the most part as like at best, a break-even proposition. And if you're going to make money from it, you're going to do it the way we do. You're going to make content. You're going to provide to a community. You're going to find other paths to monetize yourself. It's it's not just about hitting platinum, making raw dollars, and being able to travel all over the place. And I, I think there are some very real consequences that come along with this in terms of how it affects the international magic scene that are extremely problematic and are going to take a lot of work to get through because I do think that that particular stipend was subsidizing the international scene much more than it was subsidizing the domestic. And I'm speaking, of course, about the U.S. for myself, the the U.S.-based Magic player. Uh, so, so that's a huge hurdle that we're going to have to overcome. But on the whole, I don't think removing those static benefits is actually doing anything to diminish the pro lifestyle like for what it's worth there were scg pros as well and the money was infinitely smaller there were none of those type of appearance fees stipends things like that it was just a consistent program that rewarded you for sustained success with more opportunities to make money and that's all i've ever wanted from professional magic and it sounds like wizards and i are finally back on the same page as far as that goes Let's be real, though, for a lot of people trying to go to like every SCG tour stop was a bad investment. Absolutely. 100%. Just like trying to make your way onto the gravy train for the Pro Tour was a bad investment for many, many people. Yeah. So I agree that like the, the nickel and dime stipends uh, don't don't really serve anyone particularly well. And even if you were like a platinum pro or or whatever, like. You, you were not making good money. You could not, there there were like, what, three people at any one time who were just like, yeah, I just play in Magic tournaments and that's it. And like, yeah. didn't stream, didn't write articles, whatever. Uh, didn't, didn't have a full-time job, right? So that's that's fine. I think that the messaging of you can be a, a high-level Magic player or you, you can say like, you know, pro Magic in that it's not your profession, but it is like the highest, the highest level, level. Yep. then, you know, maybe there's a better word for it. I don't know, but that is, that is fine. And then you don't run the risk of having this kind of like, you know, predatory messaging of like, you know, trying to get people to like, Oh, you invest everything you got to come grind our game 
and be rewarded for it when you just get to the end and the rewards are like nothing. You're making like 10K a year or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that this is all well and good. The things that I do worry about, certainly uh, what you brought up as far as like an international aspect is concerned, uh, especially in Latin America and uh, Asia Pacific, is if you want those regions to be able to participate, they need extra help because yeah. you are almost certainly going to run the majority of your tournaments in the United States and Europe. And those players are going to pay the cost a lot of the time. And they they just like don't have as robust of like a magic tournament infrastructure anyway. And so they're just going to have like less qualification slots and everything. And they they need to get like a little bit more uh, onboarding help than say like the US needs. You know, it's like the American players, uh, at least like two, three years ago, if you wanted to go to a tournament on any given weekend, you probably could. There was probably one that's reasonably sized and not that far away from you. Yeah, I didn't know how much of this we were going to get into when we decided to do this cast. Let me just throw out a proposal for this right now. I don't know that I want to actually sit here and rebuild OP live, but there does seem to be some pretty clear solutions to this. And that's you, you have to make most play much more insular. And there needs to be like an appropriately sized circuit for APAC that, you know, still draws people into the larger events from all over that region, but not drawing people in globally. And then you need to have a self-contained circuit in Europe and a self-contained circuit in North America and a self-contained circuit in South America and hopefully a burgeoning self-contained circuit in Africa and just really localize what these things look like. And they're going to have to be different sizes, different scales, different levels of investment for sure. But then you have that one event, that one thing, just like League of Legends has worlds every year. Just once a year, all these circuits cross over. Where and it then is you, global. Yeah, where, where it's truly global in that moment. And uh, look, this is something I came up with in five minutes. I'm sure there's flaws with it. I'm sure there's ways to improve upon it. But it seems like a pretty reasonable answer to kind of keep something special about magic where there is still some occasional crossover. And, you know, I think you and I have both appreciated the opportunity to get to know people from all over the world. I think it's a huge part of magic for me. Um it, it may not be sustainable in the future. And it doesn't really matter what major city I go to. I probably have a couch to crash on. Right. Right. And that's an incredible thing. Yeah. It's it's not, you know, is it is it realistic or whatever? Am I going to catch that chip in a lot of the time? Probably not. But it is just cool as hell and nice to know. Or, if, you know, I'm just traveling somewhere for whatever reason. There's there's almost certainly someone that I would like to stop by and like get to see and catch up with. Right. So yeah. that's, that's huge. And I, I don't undervalue that aspect of magic. It is huge to me. It is. And I think at least if you have a regional system, you still build those connections within your region and we're going to lose some of that crossover that was so important and made these magic pro tours feel so special and, and so global, but there's, there's new challenges we have to face. There's, a new OP we're dealing with. And it just seems like if, if the logistical hurdles are what is keeping this from working, 
then rebuild the system to some extent, but focus on what matters, that core of competitive play. I don't think anyone's going to be disappointed if there's a really, really enticing NA circuit and a really enticing Europe circuit and a really enticing APAC circuit that only cross over a little a little bit once per year because that event's going to feel real special under those circumstances and could be a real cool showcase for Magic. I don't, I don't think four Pro Tours a year is too outlandish of an ask for that crossover to happen. Mm-hmm. And well, I, it, it depends. It depends what the system looks like. I mean, of course, we're so far from having any shape that it's really hard to say. This is me operating under the assumption that I think that they are going to go back to something closely resembling an old system uh, because, well, it's it's probably pretty easy for them to do, which is probably pretty nice for them. They don't have to mm-hmm. think about it too much. But also it is a thing that very clearly worked and people liked. Obviously, there were numerous kinks, but like a lot of that. Uh, was, you know, like, how much should Platinum players make? And, like, what are the world's invites? And why are you giving money to Amaz and not us or whatever? It's just, but, like, when you remove a lot of that stuff, it's, like, you just have this clear path for qualification and you have big tournaments and you try and find a way to make them feel prestigious. And when the players show up to a pro tour or you know, at the end of the weekend after competing in a pro tour, you want them to be like, that was awesome. I want to try and come back. Not like, okay, I I qualified for one and I'm done. Or this was a horrible experience. Why did I ever do this? Right. It's like, you, you just need those things intact. And it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult to do. Plus I think it is exactly what they should be aiming for. I agree with you. And uh, simplicity is a hundred percent your friend here and the current system, uh, anything, but simple. It's just incomprehensible uh, in basically every single way. And burning it to the ground is is not a bad thing for Magic. It's uh, it's it, aggro, but I, I I agree it's the correct choice. Yeah. Uh, so the the question then becomes: Well, what's next? And what level of optimism should we have about what's next? And here's where I think you really get in to the sticky situation here. Because as set up, this all sounds completely plausible, completely reasonable. Uh, you you can start to see a path forward. Like I'm already seeing it in my head, just sitting here talking with you, talking through it. There's there's clear things that can be done. And the fact that when Blake did this live stream, he was so deferential to the old system. You could tell there was a real affinity for the way things used to be. It was encouraging to see. Yeah. Uh, also, a, a lot of the... Uh, folks who have come in on the organized play side over the past few years have since left. Uh, they came from non-magic spaces for the most point, most part. I don't know who's doing it now. That was not clear. Me either. Um, and they, they did say they were under new leadership, but uh, declined to name names. They did. Uh, interesting, because usually stuff like that has a way of getting out. But I, I don't know who it is. I, I really don't. Um, and Blake hinted that it was people who are very familiar with the way magic has worked in the past. And I hope that's true. I, I hope they were able to use that as a foundation. But here's the thing we're running up against. Uh, I, I tweeted earlier today. I still stand by this tweet. And while my tone has softened dramatically, I, I still think this is the biggest issue that we are going to face over the next year or so. Three out of the last four years. You asked us for patience while you were rebuilding. You told us we're 
this is something new. We're transitioning to something new. We know this isn't good, but something new is coming. It's going to be better. Magic's going to be the best it's ever been. You can't wait for it. It's going to be incredible. And we all kind of nodded along like idiots. And we're like, yeah, yeah, something's coming. And speaking of sounding like an idiot to the point where I was a vocal supporter of the MPL structure. And boy, do I feel like an absolute clown now. I, I gave them the benefit of the doubt several times saying they're trying something new. They're looking to do something great. I'm on board. I'm going to support it. And uh, it didn't quite pan out. And now. Told you so. Yeah, you did. Told uh, you so. Now <laughs> you are asking for us to do it yet one more time. You are saying, let us take a year off. Let us take some time. Come back with something new. It's going to be great. Why should I believe you? Why in a million years would I believe you given what you have put professional magic through <laughs> for the past four years, essentially burning it to the ground and taking away all these things I loved so, so much? How, how can I trust that now? And uh, Jerry, I want to know your opinion. Where do you fall on this? Do you... Do you have faith? Are you pessimistic? What, what's what's your temperature? My faith relies on them. Uh, it, it was Blake during the stream constantly referencing like Grand Prix and Pro Tours. Mm. That is my faith. My faith is we get the same system we had three years ago, except it's worse, and I'm happy about it. That's how bad the situation has been. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a great place to be in. And it, I mean, it could have been that simple, too, because it'd be, oh, we're reverting to this thing that you all didn't like before. And we all would have been like, yay, the thing we hated. And it's crazy yeah. how far Okay, so went. the other things that were insinuated during the live stream was that, like, there's going to be less money involved. A lot of that money is going to be allocated towards other things, which, you know, granted, the, the other things that he talked about were important, like Command Fest, Digital, whatever. Uh, should it... Should it come from the expense of like the pro tour or whatever? I mean, whatever. It's not. It's not up for me to to say that or decide that. Like, obviously, they are going to do things to make money. They are going to try and do the bare minimum and present the bare minimum amount of cash to entice players that it takes to get the return that they want. And it sucks for us, but it is understandable at least. And I, th I think that they recognize that the old system was pretty good, or at least it definitely was enticing to the players, right? It did something. It, it did something very well. It's not clear exactly what, but it definitely created a lot of long-lasting engendered players who uh, are so invested that when we have announcements like this, it feels like the world is being set on fire. That's how much everyone involved here cares. Yeah. And I, I th yeah, I think they recognize that. I think that they're going to move towards something like that. Uh, I, Blake mentioned that like, oh, you know, they're just going to tear it all down and build something new. But then he kept talking about like what was old, right? And so I was wondering, why don't you just say we're reverting to the old model? I don't know if like, you know, that means that you're kind of admitting that you made a mistake by going with a new model or whatever, or it is just covering for, well, it's going to be the old model, but we're cutting a bunch of stuff out of it, or it's going to be the old model and hopefully better. And maybe there are things like, you know, more focus being set for South America, APOC, et cetera, for like these regions to thrive and exist within the ecosystem that they didn't really have before. But ultimately I think it's, well, it's going to be the, the old system, but worse. And yeah, that's it. I think you can succeed in that goal though. 
and still make a product that is more appealing to more people. Like just because there's less dollars in the system, if those dollars are allocated in a correct fashion, you can still come out ahead. Yes. And part of that is like the removal of the pro player benefits, I think is probably a, a net positive. You, you have to stop selling this idea that the magic career is self-contained in showing up at a magic tournament, sitting down and winning. That, that's not real. That's never been real. It's never been close to real. Well, and I mean, today is the day that they stop doing that. You, you have to commit to that, though. Like, I think today's the day they they started to stop doing that, but they they have to follow through with it. And yeah, okay, that's that's fair. They may not. You know, what if it's just like complete relaunch of like 2010 Pro Tour, play the game, see the world, like Pro Magic or whatever? Yeah, then it's bad. It's hard, too, because I, I always think that what I've wanted from Professional Magic has always been so different from a lot of players. Like, I, I never wanted to only play Magic. I never wanted Magic to be my job. And hilariously, I've ended up in that fashion at a moment where, like, I'm <laughs> playing fewer Magic tournaments than I've ever played in my life. But that, that's well, how I got here. Also, in, in a time where it's like we have a global pandemic and they keep trying to, like, shutter the doors of competitive play and stuff. it's like dude you you really picked a bad time yeah i did uh but things are going well I'm, I'm happy with where things are and uh i i wish that i don't know if i wish i got involved earlier i actually won't say that i'm i'm completely content with the way things have played out it's just odd it's so odd that the moment where i am fully invested is the moment where there's just like nothing going on whatsoever yeah um but i'll, I'll say this like being around for the birth of arena well i made a lot of money playing like those silly arena tournaments for a year like i actually had my biggest magic dollar earnings year ever from just playing random uh arena tournaments and a lot of that is just like well i never made a lot of money playing magic but uh, shout out fandom legends yeah a lot of props to fandom which rivals hell yeah yeah all that all that uh did a good job of making it my most profitable magic year ever so a strange time to be sure um esports is fake and all the money is made up but hey yeah. their checks cleared we uh we spent a lot of time dabbling in the esports space i also pointed this out on twitter like if you ever thought for a second that i just want things to go back to the way they were i don't think anyone was like more on board with the esports arena idea than we were we had about 10 projects up in the air that we were working on uh we had multiple meetings with esports orgs and just figuring out how we could really fully invest in the space before we sort of recognized uh it was this complete house of cards that was nonsensical i, I think maybe i'm speaking for myself i won't speak for you here um, i mean that that was part of it but it was also like well <clears throat> i have i have faith in that like arena will continue to be relevant and magic will be a relevant game and while yeah, these these orgs are probably not going to get like the big esports dollars that they're expecting. It's like, well, uh, again, you know that that money is fake. <laughs> like it, it just it doesn't exist. There is there is a huge bubble, whatever. And also, like Magic is not set up to be an esport. But if we are talking about like expanding the content that we do and stuff like that, while Magic is having this digital boom, like yeah, I want to get in on that. And for people wondering what happened in the projects, well, they they all fell through and uh depressed the hell out of me honestly so that's where we are 
Yeah, it was a, a real tough period for us. It, it didn't break the way we expected to. And I think our experience mirrored Magic's experience in that space. I, Despite all this talk, so there's two points of anger I still want to address. I'll get into one now. Despite all this talk of Magic having its best year ever and making more money uh, than it ever has, uh, I guess I have three points of anger. You still took away that $2 million. I'm not forgetting about that. I'm sorry. It's not going away in my mind. Like you sold tickets to an event promising one thing and you just pulled it out from under people. And that has gone a long way towards eroding the trust, the trust that you need for me right now to believe that you can rebuild this thing. That action did a lot to erode it. So I'm, I'm not going to let that slide. Uh, but the other thing that I come back to is that in this moment of the pandemic, it feels like a lot of magic adjacent things are also experiencing booms, be that collectibles like sports cards or, you know, things like NFTs or so many different things in this space are having this shiny moment. Pokemon cards come to mind. It seems like magic was destined to experience a boom no matter what they did. Like they could, they could really flub things bad. And I would argue that there's a lot of metrics you can look to that say magic failed in this era and failed to capitalize on a very captive audience in a lot of ways. Look at the Twitch numbers, Jerry. The Twitch numbers are bad. Like they're real bad. They're, they're at pre-pandemic levels, if not lower. Uh, there's very little happening in that space. And I don't know why we're supposed to be seeing this as a success. I mean, the success is just in selling raw cards, sure. But is it the same kind of cultural attention that you need? And are those cards being sold just as, as a result of people like having more disposable income and getting all into these collecting venues? The Twitch numbers are so bad that like they're only good when there is a personality streaming. So like yes. uh Crokies, Day9, Luis, uh Caleb, Numot, etc. And like now there are people like Andrea and the C for like doing pretty good numbers. Uh Aspiring Spike has like a good modern following, but it's just like this handful of people that carry all the weight. And now at this point, you could potentially argue that if those players were streaming another game, they would be, you know, just as successful, if not more. Right. So it's not even necessarily about magic. It's like people are just showing up to watch, you know, in the case of croquis, like him yell at people or whatever. But. Yeah. And I, I think that is uh, indicative of a problem. I don't know. Like they mentioned again in the stream, like maybe we were misallocating funds towards pro play when we were supposed to be allocating money towards streaming personalities. I, I disagree. You're not winning in that space. Like you're, you're just not doing a good job. And despite arena being quote unquote better for coverage and, and better product to watch, uh, I remember when the SCG tour did 25,000 viewers for a paper tournament and like, I don't see Arena touch that for a second. So I'm not sure that was actually the problem. I think the, the problem was investment. Magic is going to require investment from viewers, regardless of how you present it. I don't care if it's Arena. I don't care if it's paper. If you don't have fully invested players, they're never just going to hop in casually. It cannot work that way. Right. And I mean, that's kind of where I feel like their, their streamer showcase and stuff failed, where it's like, all right, here's our 100 sponsored streamers or whatever. Right. It's like, no, nah, pick, pick five, pick 10 you know, and just like really work with those people. But 
you you just showcase a hundred different personalities and there there is like no investment there right like the players that have a following on uh twitch now for magic like their audience is invested again in the person and it's because they put in the work they did the time like numa caleb like they they all did these things where they just streamed for infinity amount of days in a row or whatever yeah and just built that up over time and that's what you need to do and they're their broadcasts for tournaments have just never really done that, never been about that. SCG Tour does exactly that. I think you're spot on. And p- pointing to like this as a way of monetizing the magic experience, it's like, it's a half truth. It, it, you can make money doing that. Certainly plenty of people are, well, I'm not going to say plenty. A few people are successful streamers, but it's kind of selling that same dream again that you used to sell with the Pro Tour, where it's like, oh, go get this part of the pie. Well, not many people are really getting that pie and it turns out it was kind of a small pie to begin with and so you split it up all these different ways and you're still starving to death despite getting your hands on some of that pie and uh that's not good that's that's not a good place to be like your showcase element of your game yeah uh cam points out in in our live chat to you that their big initial streaming initiative or yeah big initial streaming initiative was the 32 uh best players you know, like paying them to stream. And it, again, that's that's just like cannibalizing your audience, right? You don't want <laughs> Sandy Talk with the correction, 31. That is correct. Right. 31. One person did opt out, <laughs> correct. Hi. <laughs> and yeah, like you just, you can't do that. And I don't know, you know, paying, paying like someone like Luis to stream, great, right? Uh, someone like, uh jean emmanuel de who fantastic player uh like definitely has a good following in the french community but it's just like he's gonna stream in french not a lot of people know who he is and again like that's kind of their problem because they never promoted him very well etc etc uh you you just you can't you can't do here's 32 people streaming all the time or here's 100 people or whatever it just doesn't work yeah it's a root flaw of the mpl is that you assume that the 32 best magic players in the world, again, throwing aside that you're not getting the 32 best magic players in the world when you use this arbitrary means of selection, uh, you're assuming that they are also the best brand ambassadors and you just go all in on them. And that's so to be fair, so backwards, to be fair, a lot of that stuff you can work with, right? Like there, there are people, uh, you know, like let's, let's take the uh, initial MPL, for example, right? There are a lot of people there who give good interviews, who are good on camera. And it's like, sure. if you if you teach them what makes a good Twitch stream and actually work with them, cultivate their personality, figure out a way to integrate that in, they could they could have be- become excellent streamers. But instead, you, you're just kind of like, uh, pay you to go live, just like turn on the camera and then, you know, hope it works out for you, buddy. Uh, yeah, it's not it. It's not going to yeah, make and, it happen. And, I mean, I, I'm I'm not picking on him here. I only bring this up because I I know he was personally opposed to the idea. Someone like Efro, who was like, "This is not my space. I'm not really comfortable doing yeah, this." Exactly. They, they didn't support him in any way to make him comfortable doing it, and he was just being asked to do something that he uh, really wasn't equipped to do. And he knew it in his defense. He's like, "I I can't. This isn't built for me. I don't understand why you're having me do this." And uh, Efro was kind enough to hop on in our live cast before we went live and chat a little bit about all this stuff uh so shout outs to him for sharing a little bit of wisdom with our audience and detailing his own very unique experience with all this mpl stuff that has been going on 
Right. But he's also a person who is eloquent and well-spoken and right. like, for example, having him on our little pre-show thing, it's like, yeah, this, this dude obviously gives good podcasts, you know, like he has podcasted before he knows what he's doing. And then it's just like, you find, so if, if you want to pay all of your, you know, MPL people, which probably a bad idea to do whatever content creation for you, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be streaming. You should find mm. some other way to utilize him and his talents. Like yeah. get, get him articles. Uh, He'd yep. be a great writer. Articles, broadcasting. Yeah. He, he's very good at commentary too. It's like, there's, there's no reason that, uh, Louis should hold like the only, well, if I'm not in top eight of the pro tour, I'll do commentary slot, right? Like someone like Efro is also very professional and very highly regarded in that role. There's a lot of one size fits all with the people in the MPL. And, you know, as, as you proved that was not going to work, not everyone in the MPL had the same goals, was going to approach things the same way and treating it like they were, was pretty laughable from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We, we, we shouldn't dwell on this. There, uh, there's obviously like a lot that we could like criticize and talk about or whatever, but it. I think there's been a lot of that today. It also like doesn't help us necessarily. And this is also stuff that we've hashed out a bunch. That is true. So where do you want to bring this conversation? What do you want to talk about? So what would it take for the pro tour or an equivalent to stay relevant in the eyes of the players, uh, like the aspirational players, right? Where say you strip away the pro play uh, or like the paying the pro players or whatever you strip away a lot of the money that's involved. Maybe like prizes get cut in half or something. How do you keep it aspirational? I know my answers. I want to hear yours. I think chaining events is the absolute key more than anything. You, you need to know that if you succeed once you're going to get the opportunity to succeed again. Uh, and there has to be some level of exclusivity to play at the highest level. Uh, you know, I don't want to exclude anyone from opportunities, but you, ha you have to qualify. It has to feel special. Planeswalker uh, points? Not Planeswalker points. Rats. It's, it's got to be, <laughs> you, you got to win something to play something. And that's, it's old school. It's been around for 27 years of magic now, but it works. I mean, it's, it just, it makes sense. It's clear. People, people know what it is. And, I, I used to be able to tell people how like magic tournaments work. Oh, if I win this, then I get to go fly to Spain and play a magic tournament with a, all the best players in the world. Cool. That makes sense. Uh, now I can't tell you what happens if I win a magic tournament. It's just got to be simple, direct to the point, and chaining is absolutely everything. I like how they make all the flow charts for like how you can qualify. And it's still at the end of it, you're like, huh? Yeah. Cause like <laughs> they know it's confusing. Like you wouldn't make a flow chart if you didn't bother, but it still doesn't get you to the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you have, you have anything else that you, you want to harp on? I do think that there has to be some international component. Like I said, I, I think you can succeed with the focus of play being more regional um, but at, at some point you do have to get the entire world together. You think four times a year for pro tour, isn't that big of an ask. I think it kind of is. I, I, it wouldn't hurt me if you scaled that back. Maybe once a year is too small, but like league of legends, for instance, does the MSI midseason invitational and worlds. They do it twice a year. Dude. So, I, I know this was not your intent, but do not compare like 
the League of Legends yeah, esports e structure to magic. I, I it, it, I, that's not my intent. It's just saying that where a competition is global, you do want those moments where everyone comes together. It just doesn't have to be constant. It, it needs to occur at a reasonable interval throughout the year. Yes. Anything else? No, that's it. What do you got for me? What do you need to get reinvested in competitive magic? So keep things the same, have like, you know, the, the same ish structure, right? Like you have some amount of PTQs and some amount of like grand. Oh, call them PTQs again. Sorry. Call, call them PTQs and Pro Tours. That's my last point. Go okay. Ahead. You know, have, have some, some sort of like Grand Prix thing, have some sort of Pro Tour thing. That, that model is pretty good. If you want to add extraneous things, Nationals, World Magic Cup, World Championship, et cetera, cool. Uh, that's on you. You should figure out what it is that like the market actually needs and wants, and then uh, try and solve those problems later. But like for bare bones stuff, PTQ, Grand Prix Pro Tour, right? What makes the Pro Tour like hold prestige and make people actually want to care? I think part of it is it is it's run by the official company. That is uh -huh. definitely part of it. It is the quote unquote highest level of play, like it is global. That is that is part of what makes it that versus, you know, SCG tour stuff where it's mostly confined to the East Coast of the US. It's like obviously there's a lot of good players. And if those players also dedicated themselves to like PTQs and Pro Tours and stuff, like those could be the players that you would see in Pro Tour feature matches. But it is not a global thing. Like, you know that you're watching an SCG tour thing. It is not the potentially like best group of players in the world. And I think that there's a lot that goes along with being able to play against people from other countries. Uh, certainly like that had an impact on me where it wasn't even necessarily something that I was thinking of. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind where it's like, oh, I'm going to go to my first pro tour and like play against a person from Japan. And, like, what is that going to be like? Right. But then you have that experience and it's just like the moment dawns on you where I can't understand them. They can't understand me, but we still are able to communicate mm -hmm. through magic. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, that stuff needs to stay there. It, I, I don't think like once a year type of thing is good enough because for as much as it has to be aspirational to like, you know, I can go to the pro tour and play at a high level. It it needs to be that every time, like the globalness of it needs to be the thing that you get a chance to compete at and that you are, you know, like dreaming for or whatever, not just like, oh, well, if I win a pro tour, then I play in worlds and that's global or whatever. Uh, stepping down from that, like way down, this is, this is like big picture to like super small picture is everyone who walks in that door better get a kick-ass swag bag or something. The swag bags are everything. No, because seriously, you go there, you get something to commemorate your experience. Not just like, oh, I played in this tournament, but like the overall experience of like traveling, meeting people, etc. And it's not just like a crappy backpack that's going to break immediately. They all break immediately. And, yeah, and a t-shirt. And granted, like the t-shirts are fine, whatever. But... There was uh, PT25A where I don't remember everything that we got, but like there was definitely more stuff. And one of the things that we got, which 
again was like kind of funny because it was just wizards like cleaning out their closets or whatever was like everyone just got a random foil standard set but uh the the buzz in the room was awesome and i think it was awesome for a lot of reasons part of it was that it was a team tournament you know but the other thing was just like yo this is an unexpected surprise this is really cool and it's just like oh what set did you got i got this one i got this one everyone's like looking up the prices of the sets on their phone or whatever it's just like oh i got like a 250 dollars set like this is this is dope and it's like yeah maybe you just sell it or whatever but a lot of people uh might might just like hold on to it or like use those cards in their cube or have their opponents sign random cards out of them or what you know like everyone did everything with those sets and it helped you walk away actually feeling like the event was special and it meant something and that like wizards gave a shit that you were there and again they, they were probably just cleaning out their closet or whatever so it's it's kind of funny but imagine that uh say like arena release happens Set release happens the week after. Pro Tour happens the week after. You show up, they give you a 4X set of uh, all the, the cards in the new set. You don't have to scramble for cards. You don't have to do all that last minute, you know, running around, looking for things, random commons and uncommons. Vendors are there charging you an arm and a leg. Uh, there are like $35 Earl the Mistalkers at one of the Pro Tours and $10 Fleshbag Marauders just to kill the Earls. And it was just like, this is hell. This is absolute hell. This should not exist. Yeah, that was not great. Um, dredging up some other old PT stuff. Remember player parties? I do. Those were those were kind of whatever. PT 25A kind of had one of those two where it was like there was some cake and like beverages and I think pizza or something. Um, I like the player parties were cool, but I, I definitely just like did not even go to all of them. So I, I will share my experience as a first time pro tour attendee where there was still a player party uh it made it feel again special and this was pro tour amsterdam so like 2011 i believe is the timing and i remember at the player party they were revealing uh scars of meriden cards for the first time i think i remember they had like a huge vencer card and nobody had seen vencer before um so it was like not only uh, a preview event, but also there was like a bar and lots of food and I ate a bunch of Stroop waffles and I brought my wife and Stroop waffles are so good. Stroop waffles are very good. Uh, and I remember uh, Tomoharo Saito and Patrick Chapin having a dance off. And there's just like strange, weird, wonderful things going on all over the place. And it just felt cool, especially as an outsider who like didn't belong. and it seems special and that's really what like we keep getting at is that it all has to feel very special again and it, it has to feel like you've accomplished something and it has to feel like i've made it there should be a feeling of achievement that comes attached to every pro tour qualification and i really really hope that that is what we're on the path to i i agree with that sentiment i think that like pro tour player parties are not necessarily uh the the best way to accomplish sure. that. I, I don't have I, I don't have good solutions or whatever but it's like at this point i'm very apprehensive about like getting a bunch of magic players together to like you know drink and party or whatever it's like yeah that's probably I, not happen i understand and I, I think there's a very good case for that and you can you can replace player party with whatever uh memorable event you would like 
I, I think the idea of like getting people in the room to just kind of like hang out and talk and then doing, you know, something like the Venser thing or like at uh, the Mythic Invitational, we all went over and sat and watched the uh, War of the Spark trailer and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know? Yeah, and that's, that, cool. that's like a really cool, like shared experience that you get to have and you get like the front row seat to that thing. Uh, and, and that is, that is awesome. They could, they could do a lot more of that stuff for sure. Yeah. That's a great example uh, of something along those lines. Yeah, man. Like they, they used to give out, uh, you know, playmats at the pro tours. And now if you want to get a pro tour commemorative playmat, you can buy it and like anyone can buy them. And it's like, that's, that's cool. Especially with pro tours being open and everything. Uh, but at the same time, it's like it really doesn't take a lot to make the players feel special and have this very special, unique experience. And I think that you you a need the aspirational part of it to for someone who's starting from zero to make that decision of like, oh, tournament magic exists. OK, now I want to be a part of this thing. And then you also need the thing where they participate in it and they feel great about it. And yeah. sometimes the system itself is just not enough. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. Um, one more thing that I'm angry about, if I can just drop my last piece of anger. Please, oh, my anger is almost please, dissipated at this point. Please, Vin. Uh, you had a lot of time to come up with this system. Uh, COVID has basically shut down magic as we know it. I think you could have come to the table with more, especially at a moment where trust is low and like i said i i don't believe you right now i don't believe you successfully relaunch i want to here we're spitballing a little bit being optimistic about it you know i want to buy in and give you the benefit of the doubt you've you've lost that from me though you're not going to get that without showing me something at this point so i think given all the time that covid has shut down magic it's sort of indefensible not to come to the table with more like I, I get it. You're not ready yet. Most businesses, though, you don't just get to go, yeah, we're not ready. We're going to take time with this. You have to produce. You have to come up with something. And, you know, if you have to tweak <laughs> some details later on. But what if what if Apple was like, ah, we're just going to shut off all the iPhones for the next 14 months? Because right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, so like I, I never, ever uh, question anyone's ability to make money doing what they enjoy. I I think like you should certainly get your livelihood, get your dollars, however you do it. And I am happy for every single person who gets to pay their bills with Hasbro's money. I never, ever want to call in to question their right to do so or their ability to do so. Keep getting paid, nothing but support for you. And I don't think anyone should have lost their job over this because I want that job. I want the job where you could just not produce anything and be like, "Uh, I'll have something for you in 18 months and then we'll get around to it. And they go, yeah, okay, that sounds good because I've never had that job before. Like even you and I working together, it feels like, at some point, we have to pay the piper. We can't kick the can down the road forever. We might be like, oh, we're supposed to record on Wednesday, but we're actually going to record on Thursday. But at the end of the week, we got to make that podcast. And it's so strange to me that you can just say, we're not ready yet. And we're just supposed to be like, oh, okay, well, take your time. Come back to me in a year. You know, my entire livelihood is based around this venture. And I've spent 27 years of my life pretty much devoted to your product. But if you need another 10 months, just go right ahead. Take your time. 
You know what, though, Brian, you actually don't want that job because that is probably not very rewarding to work in an environment where you're just like, oh, I'm going to take 18 months to figure out this problem. They're like, OK. Uh, it, it takes a lot of the stress off. I mean, I, I am at the point where I am less looking for like challenges and rewards to come from my job and more like put money in my pocket so I can live my actual true life. Like that's what I'm looking for for most of my jobs. And in most instances, it was just like playing magic. (laughs) Like I just want to be able to fly places and go play magic. And for you to leave me alone on the weekend when I'm playing magic, that's where most of my desire to be employed came from. Uh, So I I don't really look for fulfillment from my work, but if you do, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can be pretty disappointed with just the infinite rope you're given. Yeah, that's legit. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly fortunate in that regard, right? Where it's like, well, my my work is, you know, freeform. Basically, it is right. structured in such a way where I get to kind of do whatever I want. Therefore, I choose to do the things that is also rewarding to me. Yay. And not everyone has that luxury, obviously. But I think that you can try to have it both ways. It's obviously not going to always work out. But it's just such an absolute rarity at any like sizable corporation to have that type of flexibility in your timing and I, I guess they do. And props to them for working that out. I mean, maybe it's a thing where like old leadership failed to deliver and new leadership stepped in and they had to out of nowhere start over from scratch. I don't know. I, we don't know all the inside working. So certainly scenarios like that, or maybe just like someone got charge of the program and was like, I hate everything you've done for the last two years. Get rid of it. And this just happened in the last week. I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. So there's plausible reasons why this should happen. Uh, but I, I think even in that case, you could have just done like the private announcement to the people who were going to be impacted because that's what they were giving given as a reason uh, for just kind of putting things out there before things were complete. They wanted people participating in the MPL and Rivals Leagues to understand that things are not going to look like that going forward. And uh, I, I get it. That's that's a nice sense of it. And I, I also know that you probably couldn't have just told them because they would have told all of us anyway, like obviously happened. So it did happen. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know the solution to that, but I, I still think you were supposed to come to this juncture with more. I think you owed your player base more at this moment. And a lot of people are not coming back from this. I promise you people are leaving over this. And, you know, th- will there be new people to replace them? Sure, there always is. But Still, any company should try and keep its uh, most dedicated customers around spending money for as long as possible if you want to be completely cynical about it. Like you want everyone's money. And by cutting out your player base's legs from under them, you're sort of fighting against that. Yeah, I I didn't know if you were going to go with most enfranchised players or like most enfranchised ambassadors as far as like the group of people you were talking about leaving. But they've pretty clearly shown that they're not uh, really caring too much about any one individual person or even like a reasonably sized group of people. Right. It's like if if they if they kill the MPL and then all the MPL players and rivals players are just like, well, never playing magic again. They're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, Uh, it probably is more important, like the influencers uh, vocal opinions on this, but I think the people with the biggest reach in the magic sphere are not necessarily those members of the MPL who are most impacted by this. Certainly a lot of people see their tweets, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people, uh, oftentimes we're dealing with that 
that matters a bunch. And in some cases, it goes even larger than that. But uh, yeah, I, I guess they don't think that actually matters. And maybe they're right. Oh, magic hasn't died as a result yet. So maybe they are. I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, so I, I want I want to get two meter readings from you as Let's we wrap go. this up. I, I gave you one of my meter readings. I want to give first your anger reading, because I think that is a common sentiment around the community. I want to know if you want to do like pre post stream, that's fine. Uh, out of 10, please. And then I want your optimism reading. How much do you believe magic can pull the nose up and deliver us something that we can reinvest in? Hold on. I'm Googling the seven stages of grief. <laughs> Okay, I think we know where the optimism reading uh, is going okay, based so on that. Stage one, denial. Uh, mm -hmm. I am, I have definitely felt this about wizard decisions before. I just skipped this step. Okay. Stage two, anger. Uh, that one persists over time. That one, it's not like, you know, you go from stage two to stage three and stage right, two right. ceases to exist. These are all fluid, yes. Uh, stage three, bargaining. Kind of similar to denial. I mostly just skip this step now. I clearly know that they are not listening. Uh, stage four, depression. That's also just like a constant feeling, right. mostly. Right. Uh, may or may not be impacted by wizard's decisions. Stage five, acceptance. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Okay. Wait, hold on. What, this article just stops at acceptance. I don't understand. Well, there's there's seven stages, right? Yeah. There's two okay, more. Okay, so then... Uh, I feel like you skip stages before acceptance. Acceptance should be the last stage, right? No, because... Oh, yeah. Okay, so after depression, I guess there's upward turn, and then there's reconstruction and working through, and then there's acceptance, ooh, and hope. Uh, hope? We're, we're definitely not at hope. Uh... Where is the stage... Where Wait, so someone's saying it's five stages of grief, it's not seven stages. <laughs> we just added extra stages that we're expecting. Is it only five? I, I thought it was seven. When you said seven, I was pretty much on board. Oh, okay. So, the, the, so I googled seven stages of grief because that was the number that popped in my head, right? And mm. then immediately under that, Google has like the people also ask, and the, about the five stages. The top thing is, are there five or seven stages of grief? <laughs> okay. okay, in her original book, Elizabeth Kubler Ross referenced five stages. Uh, so yeah, I guess I guess I'm at acceptance. I'm also at the stage where I am relieved that it is not as bad <laughs> as I initially thought. So uh, that feeling mostly overtakes like my my anger about the whole thing, you know? Okay. So give me a number on a scale of one to ten. I was very specific with my demands for the segment. Is it is it one to ten? Is it one to seven? Is it one to five? It's one Number, to ten. That num I am sure of. Numbers are tough for me. Right. So I think right now I'm riding that relief high. Okay. But in a week, or almost certainly in like two years, when reality actually sets in, I'm sure the number is gonna be really high. And Right now, see what what is what is five? Like define define what five is on one to ten. I, 
the middle. I don't know what you want from me here. (laughs) (laughs) I need specific. I need defined goals, man. I can't just say an arbitrary number. Oh, Lord. I. I can't believe I've done a podcast with you for over three years and I can't get you just engage with this very simple scale. This is a very traditional anger scale that I'm asking you to operate on right now, Gerald. Just one through 10. How angry are you? <laughs> can you imagine me in the emergency room and my doctor's like, can you describe your pain <laughs> on a one to 10? And I'm just like, well, well. Can you tell me about stage four a little more. Like I need to know more about four pain before I really commit to it. I don't, I just don't want to lie to you. Yeah, you are. You have increased my anger now to a ten. It was <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. So I increased your anger at me, but I it probably distracted from the uh, the the Watsy anger a little bit. Maybe, maybe distraction. It, it's like your hand hurts. Twelve so stages I, of grief, I it, guess. Your hand hurts, so I hit your toe or whatever. You know. Right, right. Thanks for solving that problem for me. Uh, right now I think I'm at like a four. Okay. Where I, I'm not like super angry because I've been through this shit. So many times, uh, maybe I'm like a five. Yeah, it felt a little bit more than a four. There. <laughs> that, was, that was okay. That was that was past anger <laughs> rising up. That was. Uh, it's I'm not I'm not surprised anymore, man. And I can't let this stuff keep affecting me. So it just I'm mostly just trying to let it roll off me now. But overall, like at the end of the day, I think this this is a good thing. Obviously, the way I got rolled out, all that stuff, it was just nonsense. It, but that I'm, I'm just kind of like rolling my eyes to, you know, like what else can you do at this point? And I would assume your optimism rating probably about in the same space where like you want to believe, but there's a lot of evidence that you shouldn't believe. I, I know if you ask me my optimism rating, I'm sitting at like a three right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly higher than you, and that's not really going to rise until uh, I see any specifics basically or you know we got like some insight into what blake said that the company was kind of feeling is you know where their headspace was at what what sort of system they were aiming for and it's like okay that is that is good that is net good but i've been burned before you know like i'm not expecting too much of you at this point so if i if my optimism is any higher and you disappoint me, which you inevitably do, then it's it's just going to suck. It's going to feel even worse. I'd, I'd rather right. be pleasantly surprised. Yep, that's, that's a good way of approaching it. And that's about where I find myself with the three. I, I will say in closing, I, I thought Blake did a good job with a very challenging situation. Uh, I, I thought he, he delivered enough to stop fears. I, I don't know how, I, I mean, I, again, I don't know how things are shaped, but putting him in the position where he has to deflect this really bad announcement. I don't know who the author is. I should probably make sure it's not Blake before I say that. <laughs> but it, it was just a really bad written piece that did not set him up for success. And I, I, I thought he did a good job of like getting to the essence of the announcement and doing a little bit to stomp down the anger and give us some reason. Because my again, my numbers pre that stream... 10 on anger, one on optimism. I've basically done. So it, it did a lot to move the needle. Leveled you out, man. A solid, yeah. a solid, uh, whatever in three. What was your anger level? Uh, I don't know anymore. There's too many numbers involved in this podcast. I, I can't. Dude, it's a it. simple question. Why can't you just answer it one to 10? I'm sorry. I'm just going to call game so we can get away from this game. Game.
Good luck.